Hi, and welcome back to the Swell Shenanigans Podcast. I'm Amanda, but you can call me Swell here on the Swell Shenanigans Podcast. As always, we are still sort of figuring out what exactly this podcast is going to be, but I do know that I want to talk about scam shenanigans and tomfoolery, and today we are talking about the questionable practices of the uh, TikTok account and company John's Bones and the owner, CEO John John, with my guest today, AJ. Uh, AJ is a uh, death positive artist and advocate and the owner of Calma. Calma? Sorry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just got the pronunciation correct too. Oh gosh. Calma. It'll be linked below with the proper spelling and for not proper pronunciation. But AJ, thank you so much for coming on and dealing with all of our wonderful technical difficulties we've already had today. <laughs> no worries. Thank you so much for having me. So my goal with uh, inviting you on and asking you to come on this podcast was to get a different perspective than my own and also just kind of bring more awareness to the John's Bones situation on TikTok and why the uh, practice of uh, selling human remains that are quote unquote uh, from the medical bone trade and the like, uh, the issues surrounding that. So first let's talk about um, I guess how you became aware of John's Bones. Yeah, um, so I have uh, kind of had some awareness about the medical bone trade and done some like online education or like facilitated conversations around it for a few years. It started after I inherited a human skull from uh, a friend. Um, it had been her spouse's family for some amount of time um, and it needed a safe, respectful home. Having this skull in my home made me start looking into the history of this object and where it came from. And uh, you know, that led me to learn about the medical bone trade and realized pretty quickly that the likelihood that the person that this skull came from had consented to this form of afterlife was um, you know, slim to the to the verge of near impossible, and then put me on a path to figuring out one: what do we do with with uh, sort of these leftover remains um, that do exist in the world? What's the ethical and responsible way to treat them? And then it's kind of led me to having more conversations about this stuff online, trying to raise awareness about it. Um, there's a big crossover between the oddities community and the death positive community. And the oddities community is definitely, um, uh, has a, a good population of private bone collectors. All of this stuff kind of ha has put an awareness of people who are selling human remains, um, Kind of on on my radar and john's bones came to my attention a few years ago with his instagram account which was kind of i don't know i kind of noticed it was kind of bothered by it um but sort of didn't pay too much attention to him specifically until um this larger conversation about him and, and specifically prompted by the spine wall uh came up on tiktok and this was in the wake of me uh, doing some of my own TikToks about um, actually choosing to surrender the skull that I had inherited um, to authorities. And so it was this kind of interesting collision, uh, like timeline wise, um, for mm -hmm. uh, a conversation about not just John's bones, but the larger bone trade in general. Yeah, I definitely, that's how I came aware of John's bones was actually last year, his spine wall popped up on my, for you page. And I don't know why I didn't like get warning flags for it. It was just like, okay, he has a spine wall. Like it was just like a, surely there's a logical explanation for this. And uh, just because it's logical doesn't mean it's ethical. So let me 
first just kind of break down the difference between John John and John's Bones because John's Bones is actually a company that uh, deals in their own words in the sale and destigmatization of human osteology. I think that's the proper phrasing they used, which so like there's... <laughs> I'm going to be a little giggly here and there because I when I get worked up and I get uncomfortable, I'm just like, uh, like... <laughs> But yeah, the thing about John's, so John's Bones is the company. John John is the founder, owner, and then there are a variety of people working within the company of John's Bones. And I'm assuming a variety of people working on the TikTok account of John's Bones, but John John, as far as we can tell, and his cat Chonk are the only people really on camera in the forefront. So I don't think it's hard to believe for someone who's just scrolling through their For You page to think that this is just some private collector and not someone actually selling these bones. Definitely. I've seen that a lot in the comment section and even in the comment section of my own videos where, I mean, we were a couple of weeks into this larger discourse about John's bones. He'd had pretty high profile um, articles written about him. Um, and, and people were still going, oh, wait a second, he's he's selling these bones? Um and, and I think it's really interesting the way that like TikTok as, as a platform and has kind of skewed the perception of what John is, John John is doing. Um, like, I think everything on, on TikTok is so like sort of absurdist, da-da, um, has this very like surrealist sense of humor and, and what, what gets put on the platform that I think contextualized with like what people like to consume on TikTok, like, oh yeah, spine wall, of course it's TikTok, you know? Um, and, and then in addition to that, the sort of casual friendly way that he, he shows off the bones and his cats around and it's his living room. Um, I think it really makes it not intuitive for people that this is a for-profit business. Yeah. It definitely kind of gives like, even if, I were to, if someone were to be like, oh no, he's selling these. I'd be like, oh, it's like an Etsy shop, not like a, like actual, I don't want to say accredited because that's not what it is, but it seems like he is, I don't want to say a major, like I'm trying to think of the proper wording, but he does seem to be at least, I don't want like a major proponent in the current medical bone trade. Like, I don't even know if that's the right phrasing for me to be using it, but there's something about it. Like when you watch his videos, it's like, oh yeah, this is someone's like house. Like this isn't like, a storage facility or anything like that. Like these bones are literally just like stacked up on top of each other. It It's very Etsy-esque, you know, like it's, which I think is almost, oh God, it makes me so uncomfortable because it's like so disrespectful to the, these people who these bones were. Like, I think that's the disconnect some people see. And that's why personally, I try not to make any correlations between this and then the the bone stealing that happened on Tumblr a couple of years ago with the grave robbing that happened and all of that. And people keep saying like, oh, time is the circle. And they're making jokes about it. And it's like, okay, it wasn't okay then. And it's not okay now. So like, let's not be disrespectful, even though this person is seemingly making a mockery out of the bones that he's working with while also preaching respect. It's very weird. It's definitely weird. And I and I appreciate sort of putting a distinction between what happened on Tumblr and and what's happening with John's bones because I recognize why people 
have that that kind of instinct of like, oh, this is familiar. This has all happened before. But I think what's like important to recognize that's different about the two situations is that the situation with Tumblr was a person going and 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 literally directly grave robbing bones out of out of the dirt in a cemetery and and selling them on the internet, which is so blatantly obviously an illegal thing to do and a disrespectful thing to do. And the situation with John's bones has some similar sort of ethical issues when we think about things like respect for the death and and the issue of of consent and bodily autonomy and and classism and racism. But I think we have to pay extra attention to what's happening with John's Bones because what's happening with John's Bones is contextualized with the the formal bone trade, which is like a, a large and legal industry that is benefiting from the respect and trust that we give to to the medical establishment and and into into science in general, and so I think it's important to recognize that like not only is do the two situations have pretty similar ethical concerns, but what John John is doing is is fully legal and incredibly profitable, and is being sort of legitimized in a way that mm-hmm. what happened on Tumblr never was going to be like legitimized, and that there are lots of other people who have businesses just like John's Bones that are equally as problematic and equally as profitable. Yeah, I think something like you said, uh, legitimized by just the current climate in the current industry, but also even the coverage that I saw about just the spine wall in general, and then now about John's Bones is there are multiple articles that refer to him as a scientist or an expert in the field and everything. And it's like, he went to Parsons for design. He does not have any real qualifications other than I saw when you're, I was getting caught up on your TikToks before we started recording and you showed um, the certifications he has that are two week programs that he was able to most likely do online that are meant for 12 and 15 year olds and up. And it's like, that doesn't mean that you were qualified or now have the sudden expertise or the education required to not only sell these bones, but to even properly handle them in a private setting. Definitely. And and I think that's like something that is unique to John John. Like I think there's I think it's important when we talk about like what's problematic about what's happening, that we talk about like things that are problematic with the bone trade in general and then things that are problematic about John John's behavior in specific. And one of the things that I've noticed going through John John's content is he's very mm-hmm. good at using jargon to to earn people's trust and to position himself as an expert. And and just because he doesn't have like, you know, formal academic training in in a field, I think it's a little bit classist to say that that person doesn't know what they're talking about. But I do think that John John has shown through his behavior and the things that he has said that, that he does, he has not self-educated to the degree of pun not intended um, of a of a formal like academia setting. He uses jargon a lot to I think both obscure the reality of what he's doing, but also again mm-hmm. to like earn people's trust. There's people who've pointed out the fact that he uses the word osteology incorrectly. Osteology is the study of bones. It, it's not an object. Mm-hmm. You can't sell osteology. It's a non-concrete concept and. Things like he'll show off a uh, like a skull mm-hmm. specimen and be like, "This is a neonatal cranium," um, which is like a fancy, polite way of saying I'm holding a stillborn child's skull and I keep it in a cabinet behind me, <laughs> um, or like. This is an adolescent spine. Mm-hmm. I'm going to store it in the adolescent section of my spine wall, and it's like yeah. that sounds 
much nicer than like, I have a kid's category of kid spines, you know? <laughs> and, and then there's the issue of him using kind of incorrect terminology, citing laws mm-hmm. with the wrong names or, oh, or like um, when he's talking about dentition, often saying dention instead. And so I think that gets us into this category of him being sort of a little bit misleading or misinforming mm-hmm. his audience who doesn't know better. Um, and it's okay. We all slip up our words. We all, you know, get things wrong on accident. But I do think that if you're going to claim to be an expert, mm-hmm. claim to be an educator, that you have a responsibility to, you know, oh, I got that wrong. I need to reshoot that before I post that on the internet. Or I at least, at least need to put a little asterisk, you know, kind of adjustment just to make sure that people are getting mm-hmm. real valid information. Um, something you mentioned in uh, one of your videos, which I thought was something that was very important was you said that just because someone, even if it is of their own volition, if they donate their body to science after they pass away, then that does not, that's not giving consent to then have your remains end up in a private collection. And I think that's something that is kind of lost on some people like, Oh, well they donated their body. It's like, yeah, but let's say I donate my body and I'm hoping that it's going to be used for cancer research or if I have a disease and I want my body after I pass away to be used to hopefully find potential treatments or just ways of making people living with this disease uh, to live a better life or um, hopefully manage better. And that's very different than if I were to say, oh, yeah, I want to be in the background of a TikTok. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of parallels between the concerns I have about about what's happening in this situation that I think, like, if we think about them in the context of sexual consent, make more sense, you know, like, like, we recognize that if you consent to one act, that you don't consent to another inherently, you have to consent to both, and that you get to revoke consent at any time, and that you have to give uh, educated, informed, um, not coerced, enthusiastic consent to things that are done to your body. And so the issue with these bones is that One, we know that most of them didn't donate their bodies to begin with. The bones that ended up in the medical trade have been disproportionately taken from low-caste people in India who have been coerced or have have had the bodies of their loved ones literally stolen. The, yeah. the older bones that, it, that came from the United States have been literally grave robbed. They've been taken from enslaved peoples without consent and, and from the poor disproportionately. We know that um, there have been uh, bodies from prisoners in China that have been sold by the government, again, without consent. So, so I think we have to start from recognizing that we mostly don't have consent at all to begin with. Um, but even if we theoretically did have consent... Um, consenting to, like you said, having your body or your loved one's body being used to hopefully help further science or, or come up with cures for diseases or hopefully help people in some way is very different than having your loved one used as a, a decoration or as a prop um, being broadcasted on the internet. One of the things that has shown up repeatedly in my, my comment sections is... I wouldn't care if my body was treated this way. People need to get over mm-hmm. it. It's just bones. They they don't know what's happening to them. And I think it's really important that we recognize that we don't have to understand why somebody sets a boundary or why someone else doesn't consent to something. 
uh, we have a responsibility to respect their boundary and, and what they have or have not consented to. If I have a friend who does not want to be hugged by me, it doesn't matter if I love hugs. I don't have to understand why they, why they don't want to be hugged. They don't have a responsibility to explain to me what it is about them that makes them not want to be hugged. They don't have to disclose trauma. They don't have mm -hmm. to disclose, you know, medical issues. They don't have to have any justification at all other than not wanting to be touched right now. It's still my responsibility to not hug them. <laughs> and so I think for people who, who are instinctively going like, like, I don't get this. This isn't an issue. I think it doesn't really matter if you understand why it's an issue for someone else we still need to accept that it's their body, it's their choice, and and our responsibility is to respect that. We don't get to give consent to someone else's body. Um, something that was really drawing for me that took me out for a second when I was watching some of John uh, John's Bones' video on the account was someone asked, um, why do you have a sell us your bones section on your website? And his explanation I don't want to say rub me the wrong way, but it kind of put like a pit in my stomach because he straight up says that um, here is a skeleton that uh, a fam was in a family's like possession for years. Their dad was a doctor and then they had it and it started making one of the children upset and it's damaged because some of the children played with it. Uh, museums won't usually take these bones because there's no documentation or paperwork with them. So we buy them and then hopefully reintroduce them. And my correlation to that was like, okay, how is that not money laundering for bones? Because that's what it sounds like. Because it's taking something from a a potentially, uh, I don't want to say nefarious, but like a non, a like pretend, like the same reason I hope a museum wouldn't take it, like a no sourced, lack of sources, lack of details, lack of paperwork, lack of history of these bones. And then, oh, we provide documentation for them. And it's like, okay, that sounds illegal. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the whole thing is like so complicated, so multifaceted, so murky. But I watched that video too. And I had a similar like, I don't know that this is the compelling, you know, we're doing this in good faith argument that you think it is. Yeah, I felt really uncomfortable about the fact that that skeleton had been used as a toy by children, for one. That's just yeah. not okay. And then, of course, there is the issue of, like, like, a lot of the bones that enter a business like John's Bones come from families who have had medical students or dental students in, in their lineage who had to buy these for school. Um, had to buy human remains as part of their education. And then they've been inherited through generations and they end up, you know, with somebody who just doesn't want them anymore. And that causes a couple issues. Like one of them is that you have people who just want to get rid of an item. They, they're uncomfortable with it being in their home mm -hmm. and they just kind of want it gone. Um, and so I, out of curiosity, reached out to one of the, not John's Bones, but one of the other leading purveyors of, um, antique medical remains in the country. And I sent them pictures of the skull that I had already surrendered. And I said, Hey, I have this antique skull that I inherited. I'm not sure that I want to keep it. I'm, I'm open to the idea of selling it to somebody. Could you tell me how much you would offer, you know, me for it? Um, and they said, we don't know, you'd have to send it to us first for us to examine it. And then we could, you know, establish a price, but we don't think it would be more than $100 because of its condition and its age. And I went and I looked mm -hmm. around in their, their catalog and bones of this, bones that were prepared the same way had similar levels of damage, 
of our, we're of a similar age, um, we're selling for between $1,200 and $1,500. That's a huge profit margin. Um, Gotta love capitalism. For a business. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. That's a huge oh problem. And, and when you have objects that people inherently just kind of want gone, they'll, if they can make a couple bucks off of it and have it gone, you know, that feels good to them. I've known some, I, I've read some cases where people have chosen to donate that money that they've received just because mm-hmm. that made them feel more comfortable about the process. But um, there are a lot of these bones that are, you know, antique medical specimens um, that need something done with them. That's true. But I don't think that uh, the only solution or option we have is to sell them for incredible profits. And I think the the tricky thing too, mm-hmm. with, with what John John's Bones is saying is he's like, well, the only responsible thing we can do is to reintroduce these to the medical trade for people to study them. And of course, as people have pointed out, he doesn't mm-hmm. vet his buyers. So anyone can, can buy these bones. Um, and mm-hmm. The fact is, is that most people with an academic education in anything that would make owning human bones relevant to them are not going to buy these bones because they understand where they came from. And I think the other thing that I think mm-hmm. it's super important to notice about what John John has done with his content and his messaging is that his messaging has changed pretty dramatically over the two years he's been on TikTok. A lot of his early videos and some mm. of the videos he's deleted, he acknowledges that he is in the oddities business, that he is an oddities seller. And now all of a sudden he's pivoted to, I'm selling medical bones. I'm, I'm you know, funding science uh, or helping science. I'm an educator. Mm. Um, the other thing is that He has pivoted from, there are videos he's made where he explicitly talks about the fact that most of the bones that ended up in the antique medical trade were were grave robbed or taken through other illegal means. And he says that very clearly, that these were Mm -hmm. bones that were taken by the resurrectionists from graveyards, from poor people, and that they were then processed medically, given autopsy cups, having their jaws hinged on, he says, and that in 2020, I think... He, he says, these are just considered to be antique medical, you know, skulls that have, quote, that origin, and that that's different from modern day grave robbing. So he goes from sort of acknowledging that this is where these bones come from, from saying, well, actually, only maybe 15% of our bones have any paperwork or identifying, you know, anything at all. And his new messaging is much more palatable, which is... These all come from the medical trade. They were donated to science. Like he has videos where he's actually said these bones were not donated to Mm -hmm. science. But now, like, you know, a couple weeks ago, well, these bones were all donated to science. It's okay. So I think I think we also have to be like really conscious of the fact that he knows what he is doing. It's not an issue of. Mm-hmm. You know, these ideas are new to him. He, he genuinely thought that he was doing something helpful. Um, he, he is very aware of where these bones come from. And he is choosing not to care for whatever reason that is. What do you think um, would have to happen at this point? Because I saw your video, you were unblocked and then reblocked by John's Bones recently. I know he's been blocking a variety of um, archaeologists, anthropologists, historians all over TikTok who have called him out. And it does seem like, what do you think needs to happen for him to, at the very least, change his business practices? Or... Um, Because I know he previously, there was, uh, there is evidence that at one point he was selling uh, a Sami skull, 
And it had since been taken off his website. I have no idea if it was sold or if it was just the backlash that he got from doing so. Other than just continuing to call him out and continuing to raise awareness for it, do you think there's anything that can happen that people can do at this point? I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. And it's a thing I've thought about too, is like, what is, where do we go from here, right? What, what do we have agency over? What can we do? Because we can't control other people's actions. I think there's a couple things. What John John and, and other bone traders are doing operates in a, in a, in a gap in the laws where basically, according to US law, there has never been a legal way for objects like this to be created in the first place. So there's no laws that govern what to do with them and whether or not you can sell them for money because according to the law, they just don't exist. That's not true. They were just made illegally and now there's a whole bunch of them and people sell them for money. So from a legal perspective, there's not a lot Mm -hmm. that can be done that I, I understand. And if anybody's interested in learning more about like the legal nitty gritty of the bone trade and what John John is doing, um, Tanya Marsh did a really great interview for Slate, specifically talking about the legality of of John's business. And she's an incredible funerary law expert, mm-hmm. just like really fascinating to hear her take on it. I think one of the best things that we can do- I will, I will link that article down below for listeners. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Thanks. Um, I think one of the best things that we can do is continue to um, educate people about where what these objects really represent. I've had so many people send me messages or comments like publicly Mm -hmm. and privately and say, I had no idea that that's what one, that this trade existed or that that's where these bones came from. I believed people when they said that they had been donated and, Mm -hmm. you know, I had actually thought about buying bones at some point. I I was saving up for that. And I realized now that that totally doesn't fit inside of my ethical system. I, I don't want to do that. And that's really, really cool. I think that the number of people mm-hmm. who have been willing to be open-minded and take in new information and reflect on, on whether they really think this is okay or not has been really, really awesome and is totally rare in the scope of what happens on the internet. So I, I think continuing to educate people about this, you know, these issues helps um, reduce demand for these objects um, and also helps increase accountability for for people who are choosing to profit off of them. I like, I care about educating people about what the options are for objects that they have inherited that don't include selling them to somebody who's going to be in a for like sell them for profit in turn. Um, and one of the biggest things you can do is talk to your local coroner about um, surrendering it in, and there's a process by which it can hopefully be analyzed checked against missing persons and and potentially repatriated. It's an imperfect process, but to my knowledge, it is the one that is most likely to give the most dignity and respect to this person possible. The other thing that we can do is, I've noticed that John John's response to the situation has been to sort of, there's a lot of people joking about like, you know, grave rob, gaslight, you know, girl boss or whatever. Um, oh. oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unfortunately, John John has taken more of a gaslighting approach to to handling this controversy, which is to purge a whole bunch of content. He's purged about 50 videos um, that were sort of considered the most controversial in mm-hmm. his account. He has chosen to 
take a really interesting tack with the new content he's been producing. And I can tell that it is making people trust him. And I think, you know, obviously there's the issues of him censoring his comment section, blocking words like Sami or indigenous. Um, to my knowledge, he's, he's blocked a lot of industry experts who have been, you know, telling him that what he's doing is really problematic and is also going to prevent him from being involved in the anthropological industry in the future. And in turn, he has not only blocked those people, but I think my understanding is that he's actually blocked their names from being written in his content section anymore. So people can't refer to them or, um, like tag them any longer. So it's sort of this like really like hard censoring of access to information that is unfavorable to his reputation. Um, and this like pretty intense PR campaign to present himself as knowledgeable, as expert, as somebody that can be sympathized with and that, you know, just mean people on the internet don't like him because they, you know, are are, uh, you know, victims of the, of the social taboo and stigma around death. Um, and that they're just like squicked out by what he's doing and, mm -hmm. and not that they're actually people who work with human remains every single day, um, saying, no, this is, this is not how we do it. So I think, you know, in response to that yeah. particular aspect of it, I'm a, like, I'm a really big fan of letting people kind of tell on themselves and, and tell people who they really are. And I think making it hard for him to escape the content that he has created in the past, where he is dressing up human remains and handling them unsafely and letting his cats knock them on the floor and geckos crawl around inside the orbitals and using femurs as batons. And I mean, like just really ridiculous stuff. I think if we can make it really hard for him to escape the things that he has chosen to say and do and put on the internet for attention already, I think it will make it hard, pretty hard for people mm -hmm. to believe that, that what he's saying now is genuine. Is it, in a, is it a red flag in and of itself that on John John's website, on John, the John's Bones website, and from what I've seen, uh, it previously has been edited um, so that uh, it looks like the team is no longer listed on the website, but it was previous that majority of the John's Bones team was made up of graphic designers. And then the, I believe it was the only actual anthropologist on site had a bachelor's, but also they chose to not be identified by their full name or even have a photo listed, whereas the rest of the team did. Is there anything, do you think that's a red flag in and of itself or? I personally, uh, I find that to be a red flag because I think that um, any industry that handles human remains is a trust-based industry. The public has to be willing to trust that their loved ones are being mm -hmm. treated respectfully and or that their body in the future will be treated respectfully. And therefore it requires transparency. If you're not interested in people, like if you're the one, like particularly I think for the anthropologists who had their face blurred out, if you're the one whose reputation and, and education is being used to verify and sort of give credence to something as okay, and you're also afraid of being personally associated with that like kind of stamp of approval that feels odd to me and and there might be mm -hmm. other reasons that I just haven't explored for why that is but you know personally 
my kind of approach to things that I do is I try, try to lean towards like radical ownership <laughs> um, and that like transparency is, is what's most important. I think there's a lot of people who have been very concerned about the fact that John's John John's team has been taken off of the website. And personally, I don't consider that to be as concerning um, because there mm-hmm. has been a lot of harassment that has come at the business and at John John specifically. And I would not be surprised at his employees as well. And Mm -hmm. I do not condone what he is doing. I don't condone this business. I don't find him personally with my ethical system to be somebody I consider trustworthy, but I don't think that that ever excuses name calling, mocking somebody's physical appearance Um, trying to diagnose people with mental disorders from, you know, a a social media Mm -hmm. platform, accusing people of very, very serious crimes that are irrelevant to the actual concerns at hand. There have really been very, very ugly things that have been said very freely by critics of his that I don't think are productive, necessary, constructive, um, nor do I think that they are converting (laughs) to somebody who's being you know, on the receiving end of them. And I would not be surprised, like if I were in the situation where I was owning this company mm-hmm. and had this backlash, I would probably take down my employees' profiles as well for their own personal safety and privacy. So to me, I don't find that to be the most concerning thing. I know a lot of people got kind of freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I could see a very valid, appropriate, you know, action being taken there. There's um, nothing else that you personally would like to bring up about the John's Bone situation. Are you cool if we talk a little bit about the death positive movement at all? Yeah. I mean, if we still have time, it's past two. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we got a little bit of a late start, but okay. So uh, just for the listener, can you just explain a little bit about like what the death positive movement mm-hmm. is or is movement even the right word for it? I, I think that's what I heard it referred to as, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the death positive movement is, um, the ideas are, are older than, than the terms, if you will. Um, and Mm -hmm. death positive was a term that was coined by Caitlin Doty, who a lot of people know from her YouTube channel, Ask a Mortician or from her books. And it was meant Mm -hmm. to be sort of, she was questioning like, why, why do we have sex positivity where we accept that sex is a normal part of the human experience, that it shouldn't be stigmatized or shameful to work with sex or explore your, your sexuality. Um, so why is it that we don't accept that death is an inherent part of the human experience? And why is it stigmatized to work with death, be curious about death, or to explore your own mortality? And from there, mm-hmm. it kind of uh, became a little bit more formalized with um, The Order of the Good Death, which was a collection of authors and activists and academics and death care professionals and artists Um And they are all people who explore and um, uh, kind of facilitate conversations around different aspects of death and dying. And then that has expanded into this Mm -hmm. much bigger thing um, that uh, uh, I became a part of. (laughs) Yeah, personally, for me, um, death was something that was kind of, I guess you could say on the like, peripheral of my life. I had a variety of people in my life who were or and or are struggling with addiction, most people who are uh, stage four cancer patients. And it was just kind of something that was kind of always like, okay, this is something in your life, but we're not going to talk about it, you know? And so personally, I've been trying to make steps to 
one takes steps to be, I guess, more prepared for my death, just for like my family and things like that. But also just like I've there, I've been in situations where I was a minor and had to be, you know, referred to as the next of kin for uh, one of my parents and all of that. And so I think the personally for me, I just think the uh, opening up a more open dialogue about uh, death and uh, mortality and uh, not just death itself, but the the price tag associated with death. I, I that's a horrible way for me to explain it, but just the uh, the funeral industry and how um, a lot of the traditional ways, I guess, in the U.S. specifically, I shouldn't say just traditional, traditional ways in the U.S. and how expensive it is to bury a loved one and all of that. So yeah, I'm definitely more, uh, I've been looking into uh, the uh, death positivity movement for a little while now. I actually read Smoke Gets in Your Eyes when I was in college. So yeah, <laughs> Caitlin uh, Doherty's book. Yeah, it's, um, I think a lot of people, when they hear the term death positive, they think that it's people going like, we need to have a positive outlook on death. And, and I think that's mm-hmm. definitely a, a misunderstanding. Again, it's, it's more in that sort of like radical acceptance um, that like this is a part of life and that pretending like it is not, is not doing anyone any favors. And, uh, you know, for me, I grew up extremely religious. I was very, very ardent in my faith in, in my high school years. And I left religion behind when I was about 19. Um, and pretty early in my adulthood, I realized that growing up with this perspective that you're going to have this eternal afterlife, and and that's what's important, your entire life leads up to what your afterlife is going to be. And and that there's this thing that comes after death. Um, Like death was sort of this like door. And all of a sudden, it was like, the destination. (laughs) Um, And, and I had to figure out like, oh my gosh, like I am perceiving myself as a mortal being for the very first time instead of as an eternal being. And and how, what do you do with that <laughs> when your entire sense of like what you are as a being has been radically yeah. shifted um, and what it means to be alive and, and what your responsibilities while you're alive have radically shifted. And one of the, thing, the things that I think has been most powerful for me about participating in the death positive movement is not only the ways that being aware of my mortality has, has helped me live more intentionally um, and, and purposefully, but also, uh, and I think that's really strengthened the relationships that I have with people in my life and, and has also given me a better sense of fulfillment in, in my life, but specifically about the ways that um, grief as a subset of, of mortality is also taboo and we do not have a good cultural skill set around uh, around the dying experience and the grieving experience. And that, that is, that is something that is, is really harmful to people. And that by becoming more comfortable with death, we can gain skills that help people uh, gain skills so that we're better able to help our loved ones when they are grieving, um, and also better process our own experiences of grief. And so I think there's like a real, like, sometimes I think, and there's definitely been people in my life who have been like, oh, AJ, she's just obsessed with death. Like, you know, like it's this thing that we do to be like, you know, subversive and edgy, you know, for like our goth street cred or whatever. And, and really mm. it's like, no, this is this is this really strange community that I have found with fascinating, knowledgeable, creative people who, um, who, who I get to have the privilege of learning from and, and knowing um, that are, and we're all focused on building our knowledge pool and our skill set to try to help people live better. 
and, and figure out how we can help people in our lives better. It, it's, I don't know, I guess it's more um, heartwarming. I don't know, I can't find the right word for it at the moment, but... Um, yeah, it, it's no, a little, I, get what you're, I totally get what you're saying, but yeah. it's something that... Yeah, yeah, I totally get what you're saying, that it's, it's um, a sense of community, not just about around death, but also, like you said, grieving and, you know, uh, just being more at peace with, I guess, your own mortality, I guess, is the phrase I could use potentially. That's really all my questions. Is there anything else you wanted to add or talk about at all? A a very brief thing that I think ties these two topics together, both um, like the bone trade and John's bones Mm -hmm. and, and death positivity, is that one of my favorite things that happens when I talk about the bone trade, and this has happened a lot in my comment section in response to John's, John John's videos, is people start talking about their own wishes for their own bodies. And and often if you like just kind of start up a conversation with somebody and you're like, what do you want done with your body when you die? They go, I don't know. I'm going to be dead. I don't care. This is uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about it. Um, and, and that's an okay, very natural response, especially in, mm. with American culture. But one of the things that I think is really cool that I've seen happen over and over and over again is people start talking about what they want for their own bodies. When they learned about the bone trade or like when they watched John John's videos, I've had a lot of people say things like, I used to think I didn't care what happened to my body uh, when I died. But I watched this and I know I don't want that for myself. So I need to make some decisions. Or, or you know, mm-hmm. I don't really think that I feel comfortable mm-hmm. donating my body anymore. Or I think this makes me really want to be cremated. Um, or, or I want my ashes dispersed so that nobody owns me in death. And it's so cool to see people starting to think through those things for themselves. I don't think that there's any one particular option for for your for somebody's body that is better than any other one. I think it's important to to reflect on what you're interested in, what reflects mm-hmm. your personality, your values, um, the things that you care about in life, and how that can be reflected in death. And then making sure that your your loved ones, whether they're your blood family or your chosen family, people you trust, know what those wishes are, so that they know how to take care of you and how to love you if they outlive you. Yeah. Okay, well, that I think is a good note to end on. But now it's the difficult part. So AJ, would you like to share one of your a shenanigan yes. with us? <laughs> a shenanigan. Yes. So um, I think, you know, be doing a lot of like death and grief related work and like a lot of my work also deals with like chronic illness and and disability. I'm like, I think I'm perceived as a rather serious person on the internet. And sometimes people meet me in real life and they're like, oh, you're really you're really silly. But uh, my my husband and I are known to be rather silly. I think one of my favorite recent shenanigans we had was we have a lot of like large stuffed velvet pillows in our home, um, which if you take a pillow, like a square pillow, and you sort of punch in one corner, it can be turned sideways and worn as a very fancy hat. Um, which is very similar to like sort of like a nautical sailing uniform tricorn situation. So we ended up doing a staged photo shoot with us with our fancy tricorn hats. Uh, and I think we had like a toilet paper or like a paper towel holder, like telescope. And we had like some like ribbon packaging, like wheel in which we were on a nautical adventure on our couch. It's very good. <laughs> Just like find the things around your house, 
have some imagination. Don't take life too seriously. Yeah. Wear a fancy hat. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, that's a fun shenanigan. I like that. Well, thank you again so much for coming on and for uh, toughing it out through our little technical difficulties. I very much appreciate it. Um, And I will be linking all of your stuff down below, your TikTok, uh, Kalma, all of it will be linked down below in the description box. Um, and yeah, that's going to be it. Thank you again so much for watching uh, watching and or listening to Swell Shenanigans. Um, all of our stuff will be linked down below as well. And that's going to be it. Thank you.